As I know, our world travelers are off on their journey. I have not heard otherwise. <clears throat> and uh, so they're off and going. And they had a little bit of cold uh, prior to leaving on the trip. And we're a little bit concerned by that, whether, you know, they would test for that nasty uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID, and uh, Apparently didn't, and uh, I haven't heard anything after a few messages last night. So that means uh, our world travelers are off on their, I think it's a four-month expedition uh, on the Queen Mary 2. And uh, we're praying for them that uh, God would give them some fruit in their time, uh, both both enjoyment and, you know, two people in their 80s uh, taking one last big rodeo is the way that Priscilla put it to me. Uh, this is an uh, around-the-world cruise, and uh, 
So we're we're praying for them that uh, God might use them in some conversations with people and and uh, it'd be a great great time for them. So the rest of us, however, uh, some maybe are off going to work to take care of uh, other people who are your age. Uh, some maybe are your home doing your home things. Uh, to me, I'm going to be running from here to Bangor to Fayette to Portland back home today, and. Uh, little bit of running around to do. Others ran out to the kitchen to get their coffee. Uh, one of the early comments I put up there, coffee, a must. And uh, I've this cup is almost gone. Eh, it's two-thirds gone. I got a third left in here. I'll drink that down. But anyway, we're in the book of Luke. We are looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of Luke. If If I were to give it a more complete title, that's the title I would give it. Uh, it because that's what we're doing. How does Luke see Jesus? Uh, we've looked at the synoptic gospels along the way, uh, through the harmony of the gospels. And right now, uh, and we, we'll probably jump back to some of the other gospels uh, along the way, but we're particularly going to, uh, try to work our way through the book of Luke, uh, and see Jesus through the lens. Why see Jesus? Why not just see the Bible? Uh, Jesus, uh, the Bible's to point to Jesus. Jesus is the uh, penultimate, and, and I think the last day or two, uh, even our sweet sister Nell was commenting upon, you know, Jesus is the prophecy, and, and Jesus is, I think that's what we're talking about, and uh, she's right. Uh, I mean, I, I think sometimes as Christians we can get so uh, grammar, word of God heavy that we miss the Savior uh, in in that now, some of you that, that that statement may trouble some of you, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, I've been around people. I've been a Christian long enough, and and I'm bold enough to say there are people who are so uh, bent on their syntax and translations and interpretations and everything that that it's more about them and their rightness than it is about glorifying God. We we need to remember all of this is to point us to glorifying God and uh, the word of God is to glorify God It's direct us how to glorify God. And ultimately if, if we're more proud of our uh, maturity in knowledge, uh, then we are humbled by our encounters with God through the scriptures. There's something amiss. And uh, this morning, my earlier quiet time, uh, Looking at a particular chapter in the Psalms and realizing this is this is a great imagery of the relationship between God and man throughout history, and we're on the humble end of things, folks, and we just need to remember that. I think, in my humble estimation, remember where we sit. Well, Luke chapter three. We were in chapter three yesterday. I'm going to take us back there today. Uh, you can see the heading, uh, John the Baptist prepares the way. I'm not going to spend day three going back over all of this other than to say that John was the forerunner to Jesus. He was setting the stage. He was preaching the message of repentance, uh, turning from sin, turning to God. He was giving a baptism of repentance, uh, which is a little bit different than the baptism that Jesus would give his was a would be a, a baptism into new life, uh, complete new life. Ultimately, especially after his crucifixion, uh, subs, uh, 
uh, substitutionary death on our behalf, uh, the, the baptism would mean something different. Here, it's it's meaning a washing, it's meaning a cleansing, uh, it is meaning uh, uh, a turning away uh, from former way of life and, and turning to live the ways that God would have us to live. And so this is what John has been preaching and he's been preparing the way here in Luke chapter 3. Um, and when we get down toward the end of this section, we see Jesus, and I commented yesterday that really uh, there are a couple of words in here or a couple of uh, like uh, words, verses, chapter, not chapter, sorry, verses 19 and 20 uh, th- that really could come after verses 20 and 21. They're, they're like, it's like, kind of like watching a movie, if you will, or a television program where they've got this scene going on here and this scene going on here. And sometimes they'll, they'll refer, they'll look ahead to something that will happen. Or they look back to something that did happen, prequels and sequels and all those types of things that sometimes make their way into one movie or one television show as their flashbacks and things. If you look at verses 19 and 20, they are kind of like a flash ahead, if you will. Let me just read those. It says, when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And we, what we know is ultimately John will be beheaded after this, this whole scene. So verses 19 and 20 kind of are jumping ahead. You get down to verses 21 and 22. Uh, it says, when, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Uh, and as he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With with you I am well pleased. Now, some would say, well, why did Jesus have to get baptized? If this was a baptism of repentance, uh, in fact, uh, some of the other gospel writers will, will talk about the conversation between John and Jesus. And why do you need to do this, Jesus? And, and Jesus says to fulfill all righteousness. Ultimately, he is coming to identify with man and his sin uh, and he is coming to be the sacrifice for that sin. Uh, and he's coming to re- relate with humanity in, 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 in all of its ways and, and all of the, tenta- t- t- the temptations, which we'll get into in chapter four. Um, and so he says to John and, and the other gospel writers, he says, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. And really, he's saying, I, I, I'm coming, showing the people I'm going to identify with him, and I'm not going to act like I'm superior. I'm going to act as I am one of them. And so Jesus was baptized. Now, uh, earlier in the passage, we we did read, uh, where was it? Yes, verse 16 says this, uh, when the people are asking, are you the Christ? John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not uh, worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There is a different 
uh, a different baptism coming. And, and this is exactly what uh, John says to his listeners who are looking and saying, well, you know, uh, what about you? Are you the one? And he says, clearly, no, I am not the one. It is not me. You're not looking for me. You're looking for another. Jesus shows up. Jesus is baptized as we looked at in in these couple of verses. Now, I'm going to jump over. I'm only going to allude to this next section of Scripture, uh, verses 23 through the end of the chapter, which is uh, verse 38, because it gives this lengthy, lengthy genealogy of Jesus, which is important. I don't want to say it's not important. And the reason it's important is it shows his tree. It shows his lineage, and it shows that he... He has a rightful claim to the throne. He has a rightful claim to um, as God. And, and so that's the importance of a genealogy like this. But you listening to me read all these names, A, it would be comical, uh, and B, it would become boring as I went down through all them. But But it's significant. And the reason I say it's significant is it establishes the lineage some people say, oh, what's the big deal with the genealogies? God put them in his word. That's the big deal. But but the uh, intellectual reason is because it, it traces us back through history. And when you look at this all the way down to verse 38, you see, in fact, I'll go to 37, uh, the son of Methuselah, uh, who was the oldest man, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And it's interesting, Jesus is referenced as the son of God. Adam was the uh, first son of God. Jesus was the son of God before creation. Uh, Adam was the son of God in creation. So just, just that little bit of highlight. Then we jump over to chapter 4, and, and now we see... Uh, the baton really has been passed from from John the Baptist to Jesus. There will be some more uh, reference, perhaps, to John the Baptist a few more times here uh, in in the book. But um, in fact, even as I say that, I'm thinking, am I right on that factor? We will see if he is mentioned again. Now we pick up with Jesus. Jesus through the lens of Luke, uh, chapter four, verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Now, there's something significant for us in verse 1. A few things very significant. Jesus, in his humanity, necessarily had to be led of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, in his humanity, needed to be uh, filled by the Holy Spirit. Some people say, but he was God. He didn't need the Holy Spirit. But... In his humanity, he did. He needed Holy Spirit power to do the things that he did. And in the same way, friends, we need Holy Spirit power to live the Christian life. We need Holy Spirit power to serve Christ. Uh, We need Holy Spirit power to be a witness for Christ. And not only do we need Holy Spirit power uh, for all those things, we need Holy Spirit leading. You know, I, I, I've been praying a lot in the last week or so about the, the, the leading of the Spirit. There is so very, very much uh, needed uh, by the leading of the Spirit to make things clear. You know, I, I personally feel like I've 
bitten off more than I can chew between concentric and New England Bible College. But also, many months ago, believed that the Lord was leading in that direction, so we have to continue to trust in his leading, even though the steps aren't clear. And that might be true in your life as well. You may be in a place where you're saying, ah, it's not clear. I would tell you, keep walking. Keep trying to obey as much as you see and as much as you know and to do as much as you know and as much as you see and as much as you've been led to go the direction that God is leading you without question. And he will make things clear. There's a fantastic proverb that that perhaps some of you know, many of you might know this proverb. I'll share it with you. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 really comes into play here. Says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Shun evil. Uh, this will bring uh, health to your body, nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. But, but here, just the idea. Uh, Trusting the Lord, don't lean on your understanding. You, you trust Him. He's looking for us to trust Him. Uh, that's that's again from Proverbs chapter Proverbs chapter three that we read those things. Now back to where we were in Luke chapter four, just underscoring the necessity, underscoring the need to have the Holy Spirit uh, leading us and guiding us, uh, even as Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated what it was like to live life in the Spirit. And so when we look at Jesus' life, we, we look and, and we go, hmm, how did he handle that situation? What did he do there? What about peace? What about joy? What about love? What about faith? Uh, what about confrontation? What about patience? All these things. What about the fruit of the Spirit? How do we see those things lived out in Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Now, if you go to the place where Jesus was led, uh, you could see, and if I'd been prepared a little bit more, I could have pictures up here from this spot. You could see the places where he would consider casting himself down. Uh, it, it's like in the in the Wadi area uh, of Engedi, and uh, you go up on the high peaks, and you can see the temptation to throw himself down. Forty days, if you've ever done a fast for even half a day, you know, oh, I'm I'm suffering so much. I didn't get my breakfast today. Oh, it's so hard. Jesus did 40 days, folks. Um, and to think about the temptation that would come during that 40 days. Now, let, let's let's pick up and read this. He was led by the Spirit in the desert. And notice that the Spirit led him to the desert, not to a high, plush, green area, but to a desert area. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. It doesn't say that he was tempted at the end of 40 days. No, it says he was tempted by the devil 
for 40 days. And it says he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, uh, you say it's impossible. Well, he may have had some water to drink. Uh, yes, people can do a 40-day fast. I personally have known people that have done 40-day fast. I've never done 40 days. I think I've done three weeks uh, at the longest, uh, 21 days. Maybe I got up to 30. That was a long time ago, but I never did the full 40-day fast, as, and I know people who did, and uh, they would maybe drink some some V8 juice, some water, uh, some electrolytes, things of that nature, but did not eat food with the teeth. No, they, they only only drink and no coffee, none of the type of thing. And if you, you think about what that does to you, uh, if you've ever had to fast uh, in preparation for medical procedure, you know, and you come out of the procedure and it's like, I want something to eat bad. Bring it now. Bring me a steak. Um, no, he ate nothing during those days. And here we read the account. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man does not live on bread alone. Yet we think man lives on donuts alone. Uh, says uh, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, and this is flashing before his mind. He said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. This is Satan speaking to Jesus, who was called the prince of the power of the air, also the prince of this world. Yes, in certain measure, he had been given authority and he is offering it to Jesus. And then he says in verse seven, so if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil led him to Jerusalem. Now, this this may be actual, factual, physically leading him to Jerusalem. Some would say it was in his mind's eye or was an actual leading. Uh, it says he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. It's one of the, one of the corners of the temple uh, is the highest point of the temple mount. I believe it's the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it is the highest place. If you're son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Satan was not done yet. Now, there are some interesting things uh, that we want to pull out of his. And uh, verse 3, the first temptation, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Notice Jesus' answer. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone. So we see Jesus quoting from the scripture. Satan at this point is not quoting scripture. He's just saying, look, dude, you're hungry. You of all people, because you're the creator and sustainer of all things, can tell a stone to become bread and it will do so. Well, in fact, the reality was that Jesus could have just said, let there be bread and there would be bread because he spoke things into existence. He did not even need the stone to create bread. He could have made bread out of nothing had he wanted to. 
You think of how God provided for the Israelites in the desert, manna from heaven and quail on the earth. All of these things, uh, God's provision. And so he tempts him, first of all, going to the most obvious place, the place of hunger. Well, then he goes to the next place. He led him to the high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I will give you all their splendor and all their authority for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. And uh, and if you think about all the splendor, all the wonderful things, uh, I mean, just go on YouTube and, and, and look at some of the most marvelous, amazing cities on earth. Uh, you can watch YouTube videos about that and, uh, Man, I'd love to go there. I, I still have not made it uh, on the ground to uh, Constantinople, uh, which is Istanbul. I've not, not, other than being in an airport, that's a city I would love to go and see. It's a little bit suspect these days just because of what's going on in that part of the world. However, I mean, it's a place I would love to go see. And I'm just talking about tourism at this point. Uh, the devil's saying, I'm going to give you the authority of those places. I will give you the splendor of those places. And in verse 7, he says, all you have to do is worship me, and it will all be yours. Jesus answered, and notice again, he says in verse 8, it is written. Verse 8, right here, he says it is written. Verse 4, he says it is written. Jesus um uh, Jesus answers the temptation with Scripture, and for us, there's an example there that we also ourselves would answer our temptations with Scripture. This is what God's Word said. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, uh and so, Fran sharing in the comment section here uh, an experience that she had. I don't think I can get all of all of the comment on the screen. No, uh, but I'll read it to you. She says, "You may not believe this, but I was visited in my dreams last night by the Holy Spirit. A very strange event." Now, some of our listening family, some of our family that we love, uh, have regular dreams, and, and this was. Uh, uh, a dream by the Holy Spirit, very strange event. Uh, he had me perform, but how absolutely beautiful, amazing feeling when I woke, how blessed uh, and that Fran's experience. And just wonder if you ever had experiences like that before. Uh, and you're sharing that word of testimony, and we'll take it. And uh, um, it was during the night. So just very, very interesting. Now, I want to go back to the text here. Uh, and we, we will thank Jesus with you. Back to the text, it's and this is a, a, and this is a great segue back into what we're talking about. It is written. It is written. I mean, what we have to measure everything against ultimately is the text of Scripture. We need to me- measure prophecy against the, if someone tells us a new prophecy, we measure it against the text of Scripture. The Old Testament protocol was if they prophesied something that didn't come true. Uh, they were a false prophet and were to be stoned. Uh, we, we, we do the same with if you have a dream. You test the dream back against Scripture. And if it's not going against the things that God has told us clearly in his word, uh, 
Okay, but if it's going against his word, then then we we need to raise at least a yellow flag, a caution flag, and and uh, just beware. Jesus answered the temptation with the scripture. It is written. It is written. Uh, and now I want to point out something very interesting else here in this passage. The devil led him, verse 9, to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point, the temple. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Look at what Satan does. For it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands. This is from Psalm 91, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The other two places Jesus answered, it is written. But here he says, it says, the scripture says, uh, the word of God says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What I want to point out in verse 10 here, uh, Satan using it is written. Satan can also use scripture against us. He knows it better than you do. He knows it better than I do. He knows what it says. He's been around since uh, since creation. Uh, he has seen it. He's seen all of it. He, he's existed for these thousands of years, uh, and he knows it well. And so that's why it's so important that we apply good principles to how we interpret Scripture. As an example, don't just take a verse here and a verse there. Keep verses in their context. Keep keep the content of the context in the broader context. Uh, someone was asking me a question oh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and I said, this just doesn't make sense. And I said, well, look at the context. I went, oh, now it makes sense. Now I understand. They were perplexed by, by what, uh, what was written uh, because they were just looking at it as a verse and not looking at it in its broader context. We need to practice. In fact, we've got a course going on this, this semester. You might say, hey, I, I, would, I, don't, I, I, I don't want the credits, but I'd audit the course on biblical interpretation uh, and one of my favorite profs, Dave Lambertson, teaching that class. You can still sign up today. Go to nebc.edu. You can take it via Zoom. Uh, in fact, the professor will be there via, via Zoom. This class is entirely via Zoom because he's traveling all over the United States. He and his wife just celebrating their 50th anniversary, and they're doing some traveling. In fact, I talked to him yesterday. He was in Maui, and uh, so I'm praising God with him, but he'll be back teaching Great course to learn. Uh, Walter Huss would remember the class. It sounds like a disease. It's called hermeneutics. And uh, I, uh, it's just a proper way to do it. We have to be careful because Satan can use Scripture against us. We In verse 10, we see him trying to use Scripture against Jesus, but Jesus knew it better because Jesus came back and he says, it says. I mean, just the change up. It is written. It is written to. It says, and uh, there's just something interesting about how he changes up. It's almost like he's come to the point of irritation. Okay, it's written. It's written. It says, dude. It says this is what it says, and we need to remember these things. Now, one of the things I just I want to say in, in wrapping this up is a we're rejoicing with you, Fran, and. Uh, you know, draw near to Jesus. That's that's what I say. And I have friends around the world uh, who 
who live in, uh, they don't have word of God like we have. And uh, so they do have dreams and they do hear prophecies and they do have those experiences. So uh, we, we rejoice with you. But ultimately, in, in this passage, to come back to the word of God, to make sure that what we're thinking, to make sure our actions, even to measure uh, prophecies, dreams against the word of God, um, and even the way that we think we're being led to measure against the word of God, it is written, it is written. So, friends, let's be people of the word. The word is Jesus. Let's be people of the word. The word is the Bible. The Bible points us to Jesus. Uh, let's let's take comfort in the fact that Jesus was tempted in every way, as are we, yet without sin. So he is able to help us in our weaknesses. Lord, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the experiences that you give us to sew fine clothing, surrounded by peacefulness. Uh, Lord, thank you for opportunities of travel. Thank you for opportunities of work. Thank you for the opportunity of being together here this morning. Lord, it's our prayer that uh, you would help us today to walk like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Lord, help us to do that today that we might glorify you in Jesus' name. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Friends, that's a wrap for today. We will see you tomorrow.